Over the last 30 years, five different countries have won the seven World Cups that have taken place. Brazil, 1994, 2002, France, 1998, 2018, Italy, 2006, Spain, 2010, and Germany, 2014. For six of those seven winning years, the country that won the World Cup had a higher GDP growth rate in the year they won the tournament than for the two years on either side of it. In 1994, Brazil recorded a growth rate of 5.9%, much more than the previous and following two years. The same happened in 2002 when the country's growth rate of 3.1% was way ahead of the 1.4% and 1.1% growth rates recorded in 2001 and 2003 respectively. This is France's fourth final in that period. In 1998, when the country recorded its first-ever World Cup win in a tournament it hosted, its economy grew by 3.6%, more than in 1997 and 1999. It won the tournament again in 2018, but this time GDP growth fell compared with the previous year, falling to 1.9% from 2.3%. Italy won the tournament in 2006 when its economy grew by 1.8%, beating the 0.8% and 1.5% rates of 2005 and 2007. Germany's economy enjoyed similar success in its year of glory in 2014. Its economy grew 2.2%, well ahead of the 0.4% rate of 2013 and the 1.5% rate in 2015. Even Spain, who won the tournament in 2010 in the midst of a major global recession that followed the financial crisis, apparently benefited from a World Cup bonus. Its economy grew by 0.2% that year, 4 percentage points more than the previous year and 1 percentage point more than the dip of 2011. But is winning the World Cup the actual reason for the improved growth figures, or is it coincidental? In the months that follow a cup win, there seems to be a short-lived boost in productivity. Think of it as the national equivalent of a sugar rush with a short-lived energy spike followed by that energy bottoming out. It's certainly easy to speculatively imagine this sugar rush. Picture ecstatic punters crowding bars and restaurants for days and weeks after the win, or business owners trying to channel the confidence and brio of their country's footballers by making audacious punts they might not have previously attempted. However, the little bit of data there is on the topic points in a different direction. Post-World Cup victory, GDP bounces can largely be attributed to boosts in exports rather than a surge in domestic consumption or investment. It found that there is an uptick in GDP in the first two quarters following the victory, when the brand strength of the winning country significantly boosts the popularity of its exports. The evidence strengthens the idea that success in one of the most viewed and prestigious international sporting competitions has the potential to affect the business cycle. For the two countries in the final, an economic boost associated with a victory would undoubtedly be welcome. Argentina, in particular, could do with it. The country remains mired in economic chaos, as it has been for many decades now. Inflation is expected to reach 100% this year, while the country's massive debt pile continues to rise. Although the success in Qatar has led to a huge surge in morale and mass celebrations, Argentina's economic problems are far too severe and deep-rooted for victory to have any meaningful impact. As for Qatar, the World Cup's economic impact will be deeper, one way or another. Between stadium and infrastructure spending, Qatar is estimated to have spent between $200 and $300 billion on the tournament. Tourism spending, however vibrant it has been in Doha over the past four weeks, is obviously not going to bridge that gap.
However, experts have repeatedly said Qatar is hosting the tournament to try and attain prestige on the global stage rather than gain any kind of economic boost. It is clear that this World Cup is not about economic viability for Qatar. The World Cup is likely to be loss-making in commercial terms. The primary gains Qatar is seeking are non-commercial. International relations are the key motivation for hosting the tournament, and it is also about soft power as a defense and security strategy. Money is clearly no object to Qatar. The country can clearly afford to host a World Cup and is willing to absorb the losses attached. Who is each team's difference maker? For France, Antoine Griezmann has arguably been France's most important player in Qatar and could prove decisive in the final. A natural forward, he's been reinvented as a midfielder in this tournament and will have a massive dual task in helping to prop up France's midfield while also offering the creative spark behind striker Gerard. His mobility will also prove a challenge for an Argentina midfield who often play narrow. For Argentina, Enzo Fernandez. Other than Messi and Angel Di Maria, who may well not start. Argentina are short on creativity, and that will be an issue if, as expected, Didier Deschamps plays on the counter, as he loves to do. The Benfica youngster is more of an all-rounder than a creator, but he has the spark and dynamism to create overloads and make runs down that inside left channel. He has the personality to be a disruptor, and that's what Argentina might need against a tight France setup. Remember to follow Golia and hit the love heart or share it with a loved one.